transit authorities are not selling transportation. They're not selling transportation. They should be selling something else. Transportation is commoditized, so they should stop selling transportation. They should sell what makes me emotional. Peace of mind, visibility, organization, environment. If you're providing those things that matter to my life emotionally, I will react emotionally. Great to have William John Slot with us today as our Newsmaker interview on this episode of Transit Unplugged. John is the Chief Innovation Officer at the Central Florida Regional Transportation Authority, more commonly known as Lynx, and they are in Orlando, the happiest city in the world. Thank you, uh, John, for being with us today. Thank you, Paul. It's great to yeah. be here. John was mentioning to me in the green room how we've been we've actually been trying to do this for a couple of years. So I'm so happy we can finally get you on the show. Uh, one of the big reasons I think that people are interested in Orlando right now is a lot of our industry will be converging on the city in just a couple of months in October for the uh, big every three year uh, triannual APTA Expo. Are you all excited about that down there, John? Absolutely. Yeah. Love hosting our community. So uh, on the way there, I thought we should talk about some of the innovations that you're working on there. Um, your uh, boss, uh, the CEO, Tiffany Homler hawkins I had her on a CEO roundtable earlier this year at the Think Transit conference at a panel for new CEOs. And you, she, you know, you got so much going on there. Uh, why don't you tell us some about your agency to kick it off? Uh, you know, kind of the scope of what services you provide and, and where that's at. Absolutely. Thanks, folks. So, um, you had just mentioned uh, Tiffany Hallmark Hawkins. She's our CEO, um, and uh, we are responsible as a, a state agency here in the state of Florida for a three-county region: uh, Osceola, Orange, and Seminole counties. It's about a twenty-five hundred square mile region. Okay. Uh, we are the transportation authority, so we provide fixed route bus, uh, paratransit service, uh, fan pool, uh, demand demand response, what we call neighbor lake. Um, and we even, uh, through our uh, Department of Transportation here, we also provide Road Ranger. So a little bit of everything, but basically. What does that mean? What's a Road Ranger? So um, we have uh, major interstates and uh, on the major interstates, we have uh, a support function. So if somebody gets in an accident or breaks oh, yeah. down on the highway, these are the gentlemen and ladies that come in with uh, big lights and yeah. cue from oncoming traffic going by you. Right. So, they help you clear the road. So that's interesting. So you said you're a state agency. You're you're a state agency. Oh, we're I don't a think I understood district. that. Okay, yeah, we're a special district under the um, under the auspices of the uh, statute in the state of Florida, um, and we we serve about 2.5 million people uh, okay. here in the community. And then, of course, as you stated, uh, happiest place on earth. Uh, we have 75 million tourists that wow. show up on our shores each year. So. We have a bit of an accordion. We have a sort of small town becoming a city. And then we have just this massive amount of people that come and, and find joy in our. Does your bus service take people out to Disneyland, Universal, all those places? We do. We do. Yeah. We run about 300 buses on the fixed route side, uh, about 70, just under 70 routes on, on that side. Um, and then, uh, of course, we have our paratransit mission, uh, roughly 300 vehicles on that side of the equation. Uh, of which we own about 180. You um, contract that out? Yeah. Yep. yeah. We, use, um, we actually just transitioned that service from our perennial service provider uh, to a new service provider. 
Just and I, th- I think I said Disneyland. I didn't mean to say that. I know it's Disney World down there. It's Disneyland in California. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, well, that's great. And one of the things that a lot of transit agencies are looking at, and I'm interested to, for you to tell us a little about your journey to zero emissions. You know, uh, I just was on a call with someone else a few minutes ago and was talking about how during the pandemic, a lot of transit agencies really changed part of their purpose for being. And it's not just about increased ridership every year anymore. It's really about larger societal aims, such as promoting equity inclusion and also environmental stewardship. So tell us some about your green journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. I think that's, um, to your point, stewardship. If if you go to the classic definition of of mass transit, it's safe, reliable, cost-effective mass transportation for, for a community. I think you're absolutely right. Add on those two new, very critical items that are, are, are important to our community and and that's who we serve. So as public servants, that's our intent. So what we have been asked by our community to do is, is really make a more environmentally sound transportation decision. And you know, we can make a big difference just based on our scale. So you know we're a mid-sized agency um, here in the state of Florida. We do and even at mid-sized 26 million miles a year on our fleet. We drive a lot, and we and and those emissions are are important to reduce them as we can as quickly as we can. So the first step was really to get that strategic or policy direction to move toward a low and no emission future. And we've been on that journey here at our agency since about 2016, um, and we sort of tested and piloted earlier, and and now we're trying to figure out how to scale in that low emission and no emission world. And how are you doing that? What's the what's the plan, the plan? We sort of the agency was interesting. We we did a little bit of a we went from classic diesel, you know, ice combustion um, through the low emission side with uh, compressed natural gas, and uh, we have just uh, continued to pilot our battery electric future. So so now we're we're moving through that. So the the first thing was within CNG we we tackled off a lot of the types of things agencies deal with with. Simple things like, or not simple, but very technical capabilities around mechanics that had historically only worked on diesel engines. How do they make the shift to this new propulsion type? And we have a phenomenal maintenance team, and they were able to transition and take all the learnings they had from the diesel side. CNG is sort of the gateway drug of low emission, right? So you, you sort of move diesel engine, it just runs a lot hotter. There's a few things not there. There's a few things there. Our, our maintenance team was able to make that first shift. Well, that was learning how to make one of those transitions made it a lot easier to make that next step into a battery electric future is our teams were already used to the idea of multiple propulsion types. And that's how our fleet management plan as well as our transition plans are all predicated on multiple fuel types. Now that's good. Are you looking at hydrogen at all when you do multiple? At this point, we have it on our roadmap to look okay. at. Uh, there's two things we're going to check on. First off is the cost per kilogram on the hydrogen side. It's still, very it's still a little high. high. Yeah, yeah. Still yeah. very high. Uh, so that has to come down. And then second, uh, the vehicle itself, the cost per vehicle is still significantly higher than other alternatives. So as those two things continue to, to come down, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. It yeah. has a lot of good potential. Right. Uh, but, you know, jury's out three to five years, maybe a little closer on the economics. 
It's interesting. How about um, fairing has become a hot topic across the country? Uh, I was mentioning the Think Transit conference uh, earlier. We did a debate on free fares or zero fares. I don't call them free because somebody has to pay, but zero fares versus, you know, fair and fair enforcement. A lot of the big cities in the country say, you know, I can't go fare free because I need the fares to invest in my system. We're coming to this fiscal cliff if we don't. But you're actually looking at an interesting approach, which is kind of going past this contactless card. Again, a really interesting concept. Tell us about that. What we're trying to do is take something that exists in other markets and apply it to transit. So one of those things um, with our our vendor community um, in transportation, in this case, Genfair, what we're doing is looking at open payment cards as a contactless payment method for the unbanked, underbanked, and banked. So then you just level the playing field for for communities that have bank accounts and then also underserved and uh, disadvantaged communities and thereby allowing, so, you know, people who know transit, um, you know, folks that pay with cash are usually paying your most expensive fare. That's right. Because they cannot take advantage of those longer, longer, uh, there's a multi-use options. Multi-use. Right? Yeah. Is it strands their money in transportation and they need that money to do other things in their lives. So we learned that. So what we wanted to do is give them an option where they can take part of that. So by taking a Visa MasterCard or Discover off of any J-Hook in any grocery store or, or um, convenience store from around our region, come in and they can tap on our uh, fare boxes and then that account. So they're still on... A, anonymous transportation passenger. We don't know anything about them. We just know okay. it's the account. Then we can say, oh, wow, this person, we can now allow for those discounts to occur based on their ridership and therefore open up and create a very level playing field for those people that are unbanked, underbanked, or unbanked. Everybody gets to, gets to play. Um, the other idea too there is, is it basically allows for our policymakers to then turn to us and say, okay, what is fair equity? One of the portions of of my team here at at the agency is our our planning and development, strategic planning, service planning, as well as innovation, uh, sustainability, and technologies. So uh, on the planning side, uh, we are executing, of course, like most, um, our our regularly scheduled fair equity to really take a peek at, okay, now that this technology exists, what should appropriate fair structure look like and then how do we re- drive the right behavior? Because I think that's all mass transit is trying to do. Back to your point of that stewardship that we're trying to incent people. Here's an option to get out of your cars and then make a more environmentally sound as well as uh, potentially a more fiscally sound decision to take, take a bus or take a train from point A to point B versus drive your own car. We'll look forward to seeing how this goes. So this implementation is currently in process. Uh, so uh, it should be going through the summer, and then we'll start rolling it out as the technologies are in place. I'd like to try that when I come down for APTA. Yep, that's our goal. So we're going to make sure that we're moving toward that collectively as a team, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, you know, technology. We don't we don't promise anything until you hit the button and everything. That's right. Yeah. And one last uh, area I was hoping you could share about Florida seems to be in many respects, taking a, uh, a leadership role when it comes to autonomous vehicles. You know, our good friend, Nat Ford in Jacksonville has his test and learn facility and you all are moving forward with the city there. Tell us about that. Just with, just like most cities, we have um, really uh, wonderful leadership with our uh, mayor of Orlando, as well as uh, our county mayors and, and commissioners. 
the uh, they intended for to keep that body of knowledge moving forward. So we have sort of a living lab in downtown Orlando um, that we have the first BRT, by the way, in the country, um, limo. And uh, on a section of that guideway, um, work with the FDA, and, and they're very interested in our outcomes as well, to be able to look at what will a autonomous vehicle shuttle, how will it operate in a downtown core on a dedicated guideway? It crosses, goes under a, um, a I-4, our uh, interstate. So there's a lot of significant technical learnings there. Um, so we're, we're hoping that we can help with the, sort of the technical uh, knowledge for AV as this technology continues to mature. And then also learn those key parts. So for a transit side, where, what our uh, city teams and everybody wants to learn is, is two key factors. Is, is number one is first responders. So how do first responders react and interact with this autonomous vehicle technologies and, and that capability? So we'll be doing some training and interaction there. Second is um, our transportation disadvantaged communities. So those folks that fall under um, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So cognitively or physically impaired individuals take um, some special time in this pilot to really learn what are their, how do they feel about this technology? How could it be better for them uh, to live their most useful life as this technology continues to mature? And we all know that this technology is not ready for prime time. So we, these types of events really help us improve the body of knowledge and, and it, you know, the city uh, mayors have have given us the direction to go forth and conquer. So we're mission people. We go do it. So that, there you go. We're about to do that. So August, that'll be um, hopefully in the late August, that'll be on online. That's great. John, thank you so much for sharing with us some of the innovations that you're looking at there at Central Florida at Lynx. And we all look forward to meeting you in person again when we're down there uh, in October for the American Public Transportation Association Expo. Thank you so much for being our guest today on the show. Thanks, Paul. Great talking to you. Great to hear John Slott talk about his agency and the Lynx team. Another inspiring example of all the innovative things going on at Transit and at the agencies across North America. He and his team have multiple projects in various stages of planning and implementations, zero emissions, fare structure discussions, and autonomy, just to name a few. I often talk from a mentorship perspective about the many great thought leaders in our industry, the sharing of information and the sharing of change management in industry that can make us better every day. Another theme I often talk to the young leaders of our industry and youth overall is the opportunity that transit has and the perception of the jobs. There's a plethora of jobs available that many never dream of, from policy to government relations, engineering, training, and operations, to name a few. And that gets me to my last point. This week, I want to send a special nod out to all the great folks out in transit marketing and communications. It's no secret that the last few years have been challenging, but thanks to all those who continue to work on rebranding and messaging on behalf of every transit agency in North America. I've seen lots of great examples lately that have been shared on Facebook, LinkedIn, and community posts about events and celebrations, new incredible bus wraps where buses blend in with local, historic, and iconic city features such as forests, beaches, and architecture, it's truly inspiring and fantastically creative. Your random act of kindness this week, the challenge I'd like you to take on, the next time you see a unique transit advertising campaign or a bus wrap in your city, take a minute to send some feedback. I'm sure they'd like to hear about it and kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. This has been Mike. 
Thanks for being with us today on the Transit Unplugged podcast. And now we move into our leadership development portion of the show. I'm excited to have with us today on this episode, Mr. Rudy Vidal, who is Managing Director of Vidal Consulting Group. Rudy, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Rudy is a, uh, an accomplished speaker, author, and consultant with more than 25 years experience in tapping into the inherent power of an engaged corporate culture to drive customer loyalty, which is what we are talking about today, the customer centricity part of it. Uh, Rudy has held numerous executive and C-level positions in Fortune 500, as well as emerging growth companies. And uh, he is a founding member and strategic advisor to the Chief Customer Officer Council, the CCOCouncil.com, and uh, now helps the worldwide Chief Customer Officer community develop best practices in their field. And that's what we want to talk about today, Rudy, is what are some of the best practices in customer satisfaction? As you and I have talked about on couple calls prior to this, the public transit industry has uh, suffered what I call a gut punch <laughs> uh, with ridership going dramatically down during the pandemic. And the American Public Transportation Association, as you know, did a survey a couple years ago, and public transit agencies now are focused more on customer service or customer centricity than they even are on ridership because they realize that's the way really to build ridership back is to focus on the customer. And that's where you have some expertise. So thanks for being with us today and uh, sharing with us um, some of the, uh, I think, what is your novel approach to customer satisfaction and loyalty? Well, you know, I think uh, it should be said that before before you can create loyalty, you have, you have to address the need, right? The, the fundamental need, in this case, transportation, right? The transportation gets you to where you want to go and that it, it it's available to you when you need it right that's the number one thing which i think is is problematic in many in many cities with with uh with transit issues right uh sometimes they don't have the right lines or they don't have the right infrastructure or whatever the case but let's assume that the transit uh system does meet the needs right because if if not it's very if it's very difficult right to uh, to create loyalty, otherwise, right. But uh, the the basic idea of loyalty is is this: you know, loyalty is an emotional human reaction, and in order to create loyalty in customers, you need to to bond with them at an emotional level, right? In other words, loyalty is staying with the service even though. Sometimes you feel like you don't want to stay with the service. Right. I mean, loyalty is only tested when there's a problem, right? Exactly. Loyalty is tested when there's a problem. And so the issue is if there is no problem, then we can't have any loyalty, <laughs> right? If, if uh, this is the best transit system in the world and, and uh, you're going to use it and you're going to continue to use it because it's the best in the world, then really there is no loyalty. It's just common sense to stay with the service, right? right? So the idea of loyalty is that people will appreciate what you're doing, will appreciate the effort, will appreciate the quality, will appreciate the commitment. And I'm using some of those words that will bring about value, right? If you value commitment in your life, then when I'm committed to you through the transportation service and it's clear that I'm committed, then you you will spark in me 
a an emotion, right? Right, an emotion that says, "Wow, they really care about this." Satisfaction on the other side does not create loyalty, right? You can satisfy people all you want in a commoditized market, and they will not become loyal because everyone else is more or less providing the same type of service. Right? Mm. Now, the transit systems have a, a, a different model. There's usually one transit system. Right. We have a monopoly. Right. It's a monopoly of sorts, right? And that's, I think, where the problem occurs, right? The monopoly does not necessarily feel a need to create an emotional uh, attachment to, to the ridership. You know, I was thinking about products that I feel loyal to, like uh, Apple computers. A lot of people are super loyal to them for various reasons, or Chick-fil-A restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. um, or uh, thinking about other brands, you know, like Coke versus Pepsi. Some people are like, you know, no, 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 I only drink Coke or, you right. know, I only drink Pepsi, whatever. T- talk to us a little bit about that. How are they creating that emotional connection or, or what you called it, you know, which is a little bit different. Like sometimes you might go, or even your airline, your favorite airline or your favorite hotel line. Can you throw some context around that for us? Yeah. For example, right, the, 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 let's talk about airlines because that's such okay. a, a usual, uh, usual way. So yeah. with airlines, airlines want you to ride often, right? They want you to fly as often as possible uh, because they need to make money. So in order to increase the revenue, they want you to choose them over someone else. And in this particular case with airlines, it's a perfect test to what we had to- talked about before, right? Sometimes you want to go to a place where your airline doesn't go. Right. And the question is, look, I can get through Delta, let's say. I, I'm, I fly out of uh, Salt Lake City, so you know I'm pretty much a Delta guy, okay. right? So let's say I'm, I'm trying to get to, to Providence, Rhode Island. Well, I can't get there from Salt Lake direct. I got to go to Newark and then I got to fly from Newark to to uh, Providence. Okay. I don't want to take, you know, I I don't want to take that flight. I want to go direct. The question is, do I stay with Delta or do I take on another airline because it'll- Somebody who can give you a direct flight. Right. Right. Okay. And so that's a perfect example, right? And so how can they create that emotional uh, essence for me? That emotional how do they do it? experience. Yeah. Well, at first they think, well, we're going to give you miles. Yes. Right. We're going to give you miles and uh, you're going to love to take advantage of those miles and you're going to love to collect those miles. And so you're going to love flying our airline. Well, that's not what's really happening. What's really happening is that I'm, I'm trapped in Delta <laughs> because I have two, mil, 2 million miles, right? I, th- there's no way I can go anywhere else, right? <laughs> yeah. Are they really giving me a choice? Well, yes, of course. But, you know, losing 2 million miles or using them is not really a choice. It's a lot of money. So after a while, you know, it's not really a choice. You're giving me, a, I, I, I need to use these miles. So it's more or less entrapment, right? You know, they're they're happy to give you the miles and we're happy to take them, but that's not loyalty. Loyalty is when I want to stay with you because I feel that you provide something for me that makes my life better. And I, after a certain experience of that over and over and over again, actually three times, 
right? If okay. you can, if you can show an emotional sensitivity to a client for three times consecutively, mm-hmm. right? Within a certain period of time, there's a formula for it, but okay. you know, starts a certain period of time, then the human being will put you in a box. They will say, I like this airline. I will do the best I can with this airline. Interesting. Versus the idea of not not having that sense of, I, I want to stay with this airline because it's better for me. Right. Right. By the way, I've just been switching over to Delta. It's funny you say that. I, I fly out of BWI and I've used a, a, a provider that has a hub there, but I had so much trouble over the last year with baggage and everything else. I've decided, and I've been really happy with Delta. So I've had three really good experiences in a row with them. That's funny you mentioned that. That's and right. I feel loyal so now yeah. you, you, you've left, that's called churn, right? You've left one airline and you've gone to another airline. Right. And the airlines may not care too much about that because there's some of them leaving other airlines coming to them. That's the idea of churn. Right. right? I lose some and I gain some. And we turn out to be pretty much the same as we were before. So it's no big deal. Right. But you went over to Delta probably because of a negative feeling towards towards your current airline. That is correct. Yes. So you didn't go to them because they are great. (laughs) <laughs> right? You went to them because someone else isn't great. A feeling, right? It's a feeling, right? And so now- Emotions, yes. Now, what you, what Delta needs to do is they need to create, to, they need to turn that, that change that you had into an emotional relationship. Hmm. You left on an emotional, negative emotional note. That's right. And you came in, but you have no emotion with, that, with, with Delta. Their job is to make you emotional the same way that the other airline did not. Yes, you or gave me a negative emotion, yeah. Right, and, and when they screwed up your baggage, you didn't give them a second chance. Or maybe you did give them a second chance, yeah, I but gave you didn't them give them a third chance. <laughs> yes, I right? did. And so if you had been loyal, then you would have given them another chance, or you would have written a letter, or you would have called customer service and said, look, I'm having trouble here. You know, I'm dedicated to your airline, but you seem not to be dedicated to me. Yep. Right? And by the way, I did all that. Everything you just said, I did. And I didn't get a satisfactory well, then response. I think you, then I think you were loyal. I was loyal. Yeah, right? yeah. And now then I'm I, not. Right. You yeah. think you were loyal. And then yeah. all of a sudden, they, they, they changed something or they didn't change something. And you lost your cool. And you said, you know what? These guys are not on my team. They just want me to be on their team. Wow. That's right? a really good story. So So let's... Flip it around now and tell me how we're going to use that in transit. That's a great analogy. Okay, so yeah, so so in transit, what do people value? There, there are things. Here's how the model works. There, there is the things that people want. There are the things that people need, and then there are the things that people value. Okay. The things that people want create a measure of satisfaction. I want this. You give me this, and if you give me what I want, then I'll be satisfied right? What you need can be just like a want, but it can also be emotional, right? Depending on what it is that you need. If you need to feed your kids, I can make you emotional. Yes. Right? If you need, I don't know, to stretch your leg, I'm not sure I can really make you all that emotional (laughs) about a need to stretch your leg, right? But if you go to the next level, which is value, 
Okay. And these are things that matter to me. These are values, not what I value, but these are my values, right? What values to me in my life. So what values to me in my, in my life from service providers? You know, we can come up with a list of three or four things. We could say, what matters to me is uh, organization. I want the, the train or the bus or whatever it is I'm, I'm riding to come on time. I want it to be organized. I want it to be clear. I want to know how I'm getting to where I'm getting to. Let's say I value transparency, right? Uh, because I want to know what's going on with the system at any one time. If you're building something, if you're fixing something, if you've shut down a station, I need to know that because that gives me a sense of peace of mind, let's say, right? right? And uh, I also need to have a um, honesty. No, let's, let's say that, that um, what I value is, um, what's the word? Uh, when, when you look after my own interest, right? When you're looking for my interest versus your own. Right. Yes. So you you are looking out for my best interest, and that's what I value. So now, how do we turn it? Now we have a list of three things that they value emotionally about the uh, about the writing uh, system, and so we give them that. We give them that systematically, and we build those emotional bonds. Right. So if I care about scheduling or organization then I'm going to create a whole thing around ridership and organization because I've come to the conclusion that 70% of my riders care about organization. 70% of my riders care about uh, being aware of all the activities that are happening. They care about transparency. So now I'm going to give them transparency, right? And I tell them that I give them transparency because they care about transparency and they notice. And after a few cycles of that, three cycles, if if, okay. if you're in, you know, standard, you know, uh, bell curve human being, then after three samples, you will probably put the system in a box. I like the system or I don't like the system, right? I mean, we do it all the time, yeah. right? You know what? I took, I, I, I took the train twice to go to work. I'm not doing it yet, mm. right? Or... My gosh, I took the train. There was enough parking. It was great. I, 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 it, it, it was amazing. I didn't have to do anything on, on the highway. There was no issues on the highway. Okay. That happens three times to you. You pretty much start to say, you know what? I'm going to start taking the train to work, right? So why should I want to take the train to work? What is it that it, it makes my life better? Transit authorities are not selling transportation. They're not selling transportation. They should be selling something else. Transportation is commoditized, right? So they should stop selling transportation. They should sell what makes me emotional. Peace of mind, visibility, organization. Cleaning the environment. Right. Environment, right? Uh, all of those things. So if you're providing those things that matter to my life emotionally, I will react emotionally. And when you stop providing them, I will definitely react emotionally, like you did, right? Yes. You called them, you talked to them. You said, look, I've got a problem here. I'm, I'm emotional right now because I count on your airline. I don't want to learn anyone else's names. <laughs> I don't want right, to learn any right. more gates. I've got an airline that I like. Please help me keep it. If you help me keep it, I'll be even more loyal, mm. right? So the idea is satisfied customers 
and and this is a stat that I think is is pretty uh, telling. Customer satisfaction only creates loyalty in fifteen percent of of customers. Wow! So if you have customers that are fully satisfied, a hundred percent satisfied, and they will say, "Don't change a thing. I love whatever you're doing." Those people will only be loyal fifteen percent of the time. If you want to br- make them loyal. You have to give them something that evokes their emotion because loyalty, we're not loyal. Let me say it this way. We're not loyal to brands or services or people or your dog because of what they do. We will not be loyal to the transit system because of what it does. We will be loyal to the transit system because of how it makes me feel. Mm -hmm. That's the crux right there. Mm, That's beautiful. We're not loyal because of what you do. We're loyal because of how we feel after you've done it. That's great. Right? So how do you want the ridership to feel? On time? No. On time goes without saying, right? On time goes without saying that the bus is supposed to be here at 745. If it's here at 745, am I going to get emotional? No, it's supposed to be here at 740. Yeah, congratulations, you've done your job. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. However, when I get on the bus and the driver says, hey, Rudy, how you doing? Yes. How was your day today? Yes. And I have a small conversation with George, the driver, and he knows me and I know him and I feel comfortable in his bus. I'm on my way to becoming emotional about this. Yep. Right? That's beautiful. Because, I remember yes. one time I rode... Just one of those shuttle buses, speaking of airports, back from the airport, that's mm. just normal. You know, you get on the bus, you go back to your car. But this guy was like, you know, hey, just what you said, all that stuff. You know, he connected with us. You know, we were actually going to the airport. And he's like, you know, well, the weather, if you're going to Miami, is going to be great and blah, blah, Just a little extra this or that or the other. And I felt a connection to him. And I thought, you know, I even wanted to put a tip in the jar up there. Uh, and right. so those kind of, when you want to tip somebody and you want to, that shows they've connected with you emotionally, right? And so that's really the, the idea. How do you manage the customer journey? The customer journey are the points where you touch their system, where you touch their brand, where you touch their company, right? Or where they touch you, right? When you meet people's emotional requirements, they start acting funny. Yeah. Right? Beautiful. And if you want to know more about all this, we'll have a link to uh, Rudy's website and, and ways you can get more information on satisfying our customers through emotional connections and yes. building raving fans for our service because we are connected to them in an emotional way. Rudy, this has been a great dive down, a quick dive, but a great dive down into what people really want. I, I read a statement one time that said, you know, the deepest need in the human heart is the need for significance. Yes. And I think you're, we're talking about that today, aren't we? I think you just, uh, you know, you hit it on the head right there. You know, when you feel significant, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a psychologist, but I would think that significance is pretty high on the emotional scale. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. If I make you feel significant, you're pretty high on the emotional scale. And the higher we are on the emotional scale, the more raving loyalists we're going to have. People that put their tattoo on their arms. Right. Now, there is a statement of loyalty. Right. That's great. RTD. People put their mom's tattoos on their arms. Others put (laughs) Harley Davidson's tattoo on their arms. Right. That's true. 
Yeah. So, so it does, it does make a difference. So bottom line, if I can leave you guys with one thing. Yes. Is this issue. We become loyal through emotion and uh, our services, our service providers need to sell us emotion while they're providing their service. Give me what I want wrapped in what makes me emotional. That's great. Thank you, Rudy Vidal, for being with us today and helping us take, I think, the next steps as an industry to building back that emotional connection with our passengers. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guests, John Slott and Rudy Vidal. Now, next week on the show, we stay in Florida with Corey Cuff-Lonergan, CEO of Broward County Transit, where she talks to Paul about her fast-growing county and all the transit innovations she's planning over the next 15 years. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at info at transitunplugged.com. And while you're listening to the show, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This really helps people find the show and expand the community of transit enthusiasts. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.